It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by our friends at Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com. Let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit sprint.com for online services and local store availability. From the Bleacher Report, he is our good friend Howard Beck. Hello, Howard. How are you? Hey, guys. Good afternoon. I'm good. Hey. Howard, I'm always interested to know how it's going in your neck of the woods there in uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, what's the overall vibe, and is there a sense of optimism yet? I don't know how to gauge that. I mean, I'll tell you that, you know, uh, traffic seems to have picked up. There are a lot of people out. Um, also, we finally broke 80 degrees today. So <laughs> after weeks of in the 50s, um, so a lot of people were on our afternoon walk today. A lot of people were out and about, and that's good to see. Um, about 98% of people I see are wearing masks here, so that's good to see. Everyone's uh, you know being responsible and trying to do their part. Um, it, we'll, we'll see if how how much harder that is to uh, stick with once it gets really warm, because we get the humidity here in in the spring and summer, and so when it's like. You know, hot and gross and 90 degrees and sticky and everything. Like, it, that's going to be a lot, real, a lot, present a real challenge putting on that mask and keeping it on. But I, I think, I think people are sticking with it. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I can see things starting, starting to slowly, slowly return to normal here. But, um, we just, the, the governor here just announced, you know, another two week extension of the stay at home order for, for New York City. So we are, we are still not quite to the point where we're going to see everything reopened. Um, and uh, some other parts of the state have restored uh, some of that, but we're we're still still in a holding pattern here in the city. It seems that uh, you know day by day, week by week, we're just creeping back to having a plan, to setting deadlines, to possibly having the NBA back, and and by no means is is anything definitive. But I felt like this week was really about the players and if they want to come back. And most of the news came from the Players Association. And Chris Paul had comments today about how eager they are to return. How do you think if the players truly are eager to get back and the owners obviously are eager to get back, it, it'll make things easier in actually pulling that off? Well, I look at it this way. If the players were publicly expressing and privately expressing severe reservations, if they were expressing trepidation about getting back into this because they are worried either for their own health or what they may spread to families or they're worried about using up too many tests when they're not available to most of the public, if the players were, were taking it from that standpoint, if, if that were the message, then I think that would be something really significant, right? Like if, the, if you can't get the players enthused and, and invested to come back, then, then it's game over already. That they are expressing very enthusiastic uh, feelings about returning is a good sign, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen just because they're in favor of it, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's important to, that everybody's on board. It's important that the players are majority on board. Although I did see somebody had a story recently where I think of a player anonymously speculated that maybe 30% of players might not be fully on board or might have more concern. But whatever it is, if you've got the players, and especially the star players, 
on board with returning, okay, you've checked one box. The owners are all going to want to do it because they got a lot of money at stake, as the players do too. All right, you've checked that box. Um, but it's not a willingness that is the, the, the issue. An unwillingness would, would kill it in its tracks. But a willingness is, is only simply one step toward return. Everything else is still about what it's always been about. It's the logistics, and it's about where we are in the timeline of containing the virus. And is it safe to resume? And under what conditions do you resume? And where do you resume? And, you know, those are the things that the NBA still has to work out. And, you know, the, the reporting, you know, within the last week, too, is that Adam Silver wants to make a decision within the next few weeks. Um, so maybe we'll get some clarity soon. But if, if, the, if the announcement from the league is sometime in the next, whatever, two, three weeks, yes, we're going to resume. At that time, I would expect we're going to have some clarity on how they expect to resume. It's not going to be just we want to. It's going to be here's how we're going to pull it off. So we should – I would hope that, that, you know, if not the next time we all talk, <laughs> but maybe a couple Fridays from now, um, that we should have something more substantive to talk about. And I don't know what form that's going to take. We can only guess. Uh, and, and that's really – I love asking you the tough questions, Howard, because I, I have respect for what you say. If you were going to guess about those logistics, in all the research you've done and in the, all the conversations you've had, does one plan seem to be emerging that makes more sense than others? I, I, Gordon, I, I can't say that there is. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that there is any – there, there, there is no one thing you can point to because every, everything still has qualifiers, um, and part of that depends on what the uh, what the situation is at the time the NBA comes back. Because if the NBA comes back on July first, which I don't think is the case, but if they come back on July first, that may be a different set of parameters than if they come back on August first or September first. Every month we go we are presumably, hopefully, further away from the peak of this thing, you know, assuming that it continues on a, on a downward path. Now, the doctors will tell you, the scientists will tell you, that there's a very, you know, strong possibility of a second wave, whether that comes in the middle of the summer or in the fall, and we don't know how, uh, how things are going to play out as cities and states relax all these social distancing policies or, or relax the closures and people re- go back to work and stores reopen, and what if that causes a, a spike in cases? That's going to have an impact on the NBA, too. So when you ask, well, what is there a plan that, that seems to be emerging or that they think is, is the best way forward? Well, it still depends on, on how the, their surroundings are. And, you know, I mean, look, from my perspective, I still think that the smartest way to approach this is go with the smallest scale you can, meaning don't try to resume the regular season. Don't, uh, don't do anything you don't have to do. What you have to do, I think, is get the playoffs done, if, 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 there's, if there is any have to at all, right? But um, the playoffs, if that's what you want to get done, great. But you can do that by only involving 16 teams, the eight teams at the top of the conferences as it stands right now. That then limits the number of players and coaches and staffers and everybody else that you're having to haul to some central neutral site where you're going to put everybody on, on either a lockdown or a soft lockdown. It, it means that many fewer tests that you would need um, and just that much less risk. 
by, by a pretty big uh, margin because you're just involving fewer people. So that, to me, makes the most sense. Now, that's easy for me to say because I'm not the one sacrificing millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars by having that many fewer TV games um, and everything that goes with that. So uh, I, you know, I, I think a contained resu- uh, resumption, a, a smaller scale resumption, makes the most sense to me. And shorten the playoffs, too, so that you have fewer games so that you don't need to be uh, on site as long. You can get it done quicker. Um, but again, I'm not factoring in the revenue part of this, which is, you know, let's face it, a really big part of their considerations. Howard Beck of the Bleacher Report with us in 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Howard, let's say they decide to just do the playoffs but try to get in a full playoff. What kind of time frame do you think they'd need, given they wouldn't be traveling anywhere? Yeah, I mean, think about it. In a normal circumstance, the playoffs take two months, right? Every round is about two weeks to do a best-of-seven series, assuming that you might go seven games. But that builds in a lot of travel time. So to your point... If you don't have to travel at all, um, you could certainly condense it, but not by a ton. I mean, you, even if you played every other day, that, you know that's that's still potentially two weeks if it goes seven games, right? It's it's you know you could do a back to back in there. Maybe you could do a couple of back to backs. I'm not sure how how advisable it is to do back to backs when guys have been off for for months. Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I mean, it, that's that's a tough one. Um, I think, you know, look, I, I started covering this league when it was best of five first round. I love the best of five first round. I wish they had never abandoned the best of five first round, but they made more money by going to best of seven. Um, it would be very easy to go to best of five and maybe even the first two rounds and then make the conference finals and finals still the best of seven. But you can shave off games, and then you can shave off a lot of days. Um, you know, you could get a, a best-of-five series, even if it goes five games. You could probably get done in, in a nine-day span. So you could accelerate all this if you want to. I mean, you could even go to best-of-three. Once upon a time, the NBA had best-of-three series, if you go back far enough on basketball reference. Um, I don't remember how many decades back that was, maybe the 60s. But it's, it, it's you know, they, they can do whatever they want as long as they're willing to – uh, sacrifice some money along the way, and as long as they're comfortable, as long as they're comfortable enough with the idea that, look, this this postseason will not match up with prior postseasons in terms of the record books. It's not, you know, it may not take 16 games to win the championship if you shorten these series, um, but that is a way to get it done faster. So, Howard, the answer to this question is dependent upon some of the things you just brought up. But some people have talked about uh, it's no big deal if this thing drags on and on for a while because the next season that that might uh, be delayed in its uh, commencement as well. But I'm I'm curious to know what you think about when is the drop dead date? Uh, I know that Adam Silver, I believe he was quoted as saying he's about data, not a date. But is there a time at which they have to get started or, or, or just punt? Yeah, I can't remember if we talked about this last week or not, but I mean, they they haven't said it and they won't admit it. But I I would state with unequivocal certainty, and I'd be willing to put money on it that there's a drop dead date. They won't say what it is, but there's a drop dead date somewhere because even if they're comfortable starting next season in mid December, 
um, that's probably as late as they can go. There is there is some date by which they really need to start next season, even if they're going into next summer. So if that date is in mid-December, and you got to back up four to six weeks to have a, a gap between the end of the finals and the start of next season, and you need time in there for free agency and the draft, I don't know if you'll have a quote-unquote summer league, which now will be the fall league. <laughs> um, but you need, a, you need a gap between the end of the finals and the start of the next season. And it's got to be, I mean, minimally a month. I, I would think more like six to eight weeks. So somewhere in December, there's a drop-dead date to start next season. And if you back up from there six to eight weeks or whatever the time frame is that they need in between, there's a drop-dead date to stop to finish the finals. Um, so, uh, look, there, there, there are absolutely time considerations here, and that's why if you're hearing rumblings that Adam Silver is going to make a decision and an announcement soon, potentially, well, that's why, because they've got to get some things in motion if they're going to complete this season, whatever that means, and start next season in a, in a time frame that still allows them to finish sometime next summer and not encroach on the next season um it's you know all, all these things are, you know are related howard beck with us 97.5 and 1280 the zone howard i've asked a, a couple of people this this week but given the kind of tone and tenor and what we've seen thus far in the jordan docuseries uh how bad is brian russell gonna get it uh this weekend <laughs> as we see more of the jazz i was gonna tweet this i might still tweet it um i'll be happy if people just say his name right as brian and not byron right. so um we got him on he, he joined the lakers uh what was it was it my last year there whenever it was and, and, and brian joined the lakers and uh we were somewhere along the way where he was about to check into a game and the pa guy announced him as as byron russell and he had to turn around and yell at the guy it's brian um <laughs> All these years later, people still screw it up because it's got that funky spelling. Um, I had the director of The Last Dance, Jason Hare, on my podcast uh, a couple days ago, and I, I asked him, I said, so we're, we're coming down to it. We're going to see game six of, of 98. I said, Are, did you get Brian Russell to talk about the push-off? Do you have Carl Malone talking about the steal? And all Jason Hare, the director, would, said, uh, would say was, we cover those two topics, yes. Mm. <laughs> But he would not say whether he got those guys. Um, I, I I really hope both Brian and Carl are in there. I would love to hear what they have to say, uh, Brian in particular, because of the push-off. Um, if if not, it will be incomplete. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, there's no doubt that those you know those plays, those moments are going to be covered in detail. I haven't seen these. You know, but they sent out screeners to a lot of us in the media for episodes one through eight but nine and ten were still being worked on as of a couple days ago like jason told me he said we, we're still as he talked to me on wednesday afternoon it was he said i've still not finished off we I mean, it was small things but they were still you know doing some touch-up work on those last episodes you know, Howard, uh, having had the chance to talk with him, that w that was probably a terrific thing for folks to listen to. But I, I was reading today where uh, he said that uh, none of the interviews took place in, in any of Jordan's homes because Jordan didn't want 
an interview presented inside of one of his homes. And so that director uh, found homes that he thought looked like homes that Jordan might live in. It, it, it just, <laughs> it's the control that Jordan has over this production, I guess. And I guess they had to sort of bob and weave with his wishes and, and whatnot. Uh, is that just a part of who Michael Jordan is? And, and what did you think of the revelations that probably were nothing new to you because you already knew about all the way Jordan comports himself, but his leadership style being so very demanding. That was always part of his legend. And so, you know, and, and, and I, I don't think we learned anything new about the fact that Michael could be a bit tyrannical because the great Sam Smith, my buddy formerly of the Chicago Tribune and, and now working for the, the Bulls website, but Sam who could, you know, wrote the, the definitive book, The Jordan Rules, during that first three-peat uh, at the early part of it. And a lot of that was about how Michael was, you know, kind of a bully and could be really rough on his teammates, and a lot of them didn't really like him at the time. Um, so the, his, you know, it's a lot of these things have long been forgotten because the mystique of Michael, the, 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 the myth of Jordan, um, has just grown over time, and that's fine. You know, look, I mean, he's still one of the greatest athletes of all time. Um, he's incredibly charismatic. He's spectacular to watch. And we look, you, you and I, we're not the ones who had to be, you know, had to deal with with his, you know, piercing glare or his insults or anything um, on a day to day basis. And that leadership style worked for him. The revelation is not so much that he could be so uh, demanding or intense or at times abusive. Um, the revelation is that all these years later, he, he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. And in fact, he thinks <laughs> that was the right way. We saw very wow. clearly he, him saying, you know, if you want to win championships, this is the way you got to go. And that's fine. I mean, it worked for him. Um, other guys have won without doing that. Steph Curry, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Hakeem Olajuwon, you know, you can find any number of, of champions and, and franchise stars, LeBron, um, who did not do it that, that way. But I respect that that's how Michael viewed the, the task, and that's how he, that was his style of leadership. It worked for him. It worked for those teams. Um, I don't think any of them who were his teammates necessarily feel any worse for it, but you certainly heard them say some pretty blunt things. And again, credit to, to Jason Hare, the director, and to, to everybody who worked on this, and maybe even to Jordan, that for all the talk of, well, this is a Jordan production, and Jordan is the one who had to sign off because he's the one who controlled the old footage. Okay, yeah, but we still got people's pretty honest assessments of him, his, his leadership style, the things he said, the things he did. Um, a lot of candor about Scottie Pippen, about Dennis Rodman about everything, and so I, like I don't feel like I watch this thing and think, oh, you know, you can see Michael Jordan's fingerprints on this. I know some people have cynically viewed it that way. I think we've gotten a pretty accurate and complete picture here, and you can always find areas that you could drill down further on, and that you could say, well, if he wasn't involved at all, would you have gone more in this direction, or would you have interviewed these other people, or would this story have looked a little bit different? I mean, that's a fair question. But I think given the parameters and given, you know, the fact that, that they, they were partners with Jordan and the NBA on this because those are the two entities that controlled the old footage, uh, they, they told a, a really great story. Howard, as always, thank you very much for jumping on with us and uh, glad things are warming up back there finally. <laughs> Appreciate it, fellas. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Howard. Thanks, Howard.
Howard Beck from the Bleacher Report, your uh, daily assist. He joins us each and every Friday. And it really is, I, I like capping off the week with Howard because it feels like we've got the, all the stories and the, the info and it kind of culminates with our discussion with Howard and he, he always processes things so well. Any disagreements with his observations about what might happen? Um, no, not disagreement. Um, you know, Howard is, he's, he's very much a realist and he's, he's had the same kind of tone and tenor throughout all of this. I, I think you could, you could say things similarly, but put them in a more optimistic, uh, phrasing and still agree with Howard. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I guess. And we're all we're all guessing to some extent about how this thing is going. Like, to. I, I don't disagree with Howard, but I, I feel like I'm more optimistic than Howard. I don't know how to negotiate that because I, I couldn't pick out a sentence and go, well, you're wrong there, pal, because I, <laughs> I can't. But but somehow I've, I'm feeling more optimistic about it than he sounds. But maybe I don't know. What about the idea of having like three game playoff series? I don't think they want that. I mean, I think they'd do it if they had to. It depends on the window. And, and I, I thought Howard was, was really good about that. I mean, there is some sort of date out there. There's some sort of drop-dead date. You know, they got to do this by then, by then, or else you can't do this, right? I mean, there's, there's that line out there somewhere. So what is that window, and how long will you have to do what you need to do? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm. You know where I totally agree with Howard. I I liked it much better when we had five game series in the first round. So I mean, if if we were to go that direction, I mean, me personally, I wouldn't be all that disappointed. But at this point, I'm rooting for the NBA to salvage every possible dollar they can because that comes around to help everybody associated with this great league. I'll take darn near anything at this point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we can get into this a little bit later on, but Sam, that uh, Sam Amick, the piece he was working on yesterday that he was uh, came out today that he was telling us about, and there's something like $900 million at stake if the NBA can get playoffs in. Mm. And that's not the, you know, if they can get every team to 70 games where they get that local TV money either. I mean, that would be in addition to. So just the playoffs, something like $900 million bucks. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, I was thinking about that 70-game uh, mark uh, as uh, Howard was talking about minimizing it as much as possible. And I thought somebody's keeping their eye on that number. Yep. And if they can't do it, I mean, Howard kind of thought that that would be a long shot. If they can't do it, they'll they'll move on to the next thing that they could save. But I bet they'd really love to get every team to that 70-game mark if they could. Yeah. And meanwhile, all the NBA players are out there eating chip cookies. Like yes, George like Niang, as, as we found out. Those are good. Those they are, are good. good. Yeah, they, they are, are tasty. Good. All right, stay tuned. We'll have more Big Show coming up next, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone.